Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, ratchetandratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 3. Day or night, I'm available to you. Yasmin. Who's Yasmin? Like, okay, you know what? Nothing had ever been so foreign as Zaire. He was flint-bred and Miami-crowned. He preferred to stay where the native tongue was one that he understood. Call it closed-minded, but Zaire just called it smart. He was a young man who liked to be aware of everything moving around him. As soon as he stepped off the private jet, an uneasiness settled into his bones. It was instinctive for him to reach out to Breeze. He missed her. The fact that they had been at odds ate away at him the entire flight. He knew that she was suffering because he could feel her strife. He was across the globe and was still emotionally connected to his shorty. She was his rib. I really do hate that line. I know that it means that she's the one who finishes you, who completes you. You complete me. I know it, but it just sounds so possessive. I don't know. She was his rib. He just wished that he could tell her that everything was going to be okay. Stone-faced, he emerged from the plane and the first thing he saw were men carrying assault rifles lined up in front of two luxury SUVs. They were dressed in traditional, long-flowing cloaks made of the most beautiful fabrics. Their heads were wrapped as well, only revealing their menacing facial expressions. They don't look too friendly, fam, Zaire whispered to Monroe as they made their way down the stairs. You strapped? Monroe asked. You know it. Zaire replied. They were ready to go out guns blazing. It wasn't like them to tread lightly, but they followed Carter's lead. He was the captain of this ship, and as long as he appeared comfortable, they would remain that way too. Should he even show the slightest wrinkle of concern on his face, they would get it started. They were clearly outnumbered, but Moreau's marksman aimed even the playing field a bit. The door to one of the SUVs was opened, and a distinguished man with a full beard exited. He wore gold garb and held out his arms in receipt of his guests. Welcome to Saudi Arabia, he said in perfect English. He stepped forward and met the men halfway, showing good faith. He walked right up to Carter. You must be Carter, he said as he held out his hand. You're the spitting image of your father. He and I had some good times in America as young men, before the wives and the children. The man paused and inhaled long and deep as he reveled in the fond memories. 
to be young and rich again, he said. Carter gave him a firm handshake. You must be Mr. Baraka, Carter replied. Polo had made the connection, so Carter knew that they were in safe hands. This is my brother Monroe and my good friend Zaire. Thank you for extending the invitation. A son of Carter Diamond is a son of mine. I owed your father my life. He was a good man. I was very saddened to learn of his death, Baraka stated. As were we, Carter replied, keeping it short. Thank you. Shall we? Baraka said, extending his arm towards their awaiting vehicles. Monroe and Zaire could ride in the first truck, while I discuss specifics with you on the way to the resort. Resort? Monroe questioned. Yes. I own Saudi Arabia's largest resort and casino. Five star. I have a penthouse set up for each of you, Baraka revealed. It will be most comfortable. Monroe nodded and headed for the truck as Carter climbed inside with Baraka. The scenery outside of his window was mesmerizing. He was in a desert oasis. It was so hot outside that he could see the heat waves creating a hazy view on the other side of the glass. The tan sand dunes around him made him feel out of place. This was unfamiliar territory, but it was also a safe haven. He was out of reach of all of his enemies, legit and otherwise. He felt the tension dissipate from his chest. Fear of capture had been real until this very moment. But now that he had touched Saudi soil, he knew exactly why Polo had suggested this place. He was worlds away. The air didn't even smell the same on this side of the planet, and despite the fact that he missed Mia Moore and his son, he welcomed the change. I couldn't get any details from Polo as far as the troubles you're in, Baraka said. Please tell me. Baraka was mild-mannered, but Carter could see nothing but boss status and old money when he looked at him. He didn't know many old men who walked around with armed guards on a regular. Baraka was important, and the ruby sitting on his ring fingers told Carter that he came from extreme wealth. Carter had every intention of laying low, but he was like a sponge. He soaked up knowledge and stored it for future references. He was all about expanding and building a usable and influential network. Something told him that Baraka was someone that he wanted on his team. The DEA is trying to prosecute us on drug charges. They have evidence, mostly circumstantial, and witnesses. There was no time to hinder their case against us. They want us behind bars to try and contain our influence over Miami. If we were free, then their witnesses would never testify. We had no choice but to flee. We need time to regroup. Maybe establish some networks over here, Carter said smoothly, opening the door for potential business. Well, you're welcome to stay here as long as you need to, Baraka said. Thank you, Carter said. I don't come empty-handed, however. We aren't in the business of taking handouts. Any business I conduct is mutually beneficial. There's a saying that in a good deal, both parties walk away feeling like they sacrificed a little bit. Carter handed Baraka the briefcase that he had carried off the plane. A million dollars to show our appreciation for your hospitality. Baraka gave Carter a chuckle as he took the case. <laughs> you are your father's boy, he commented. So I've heard. The word penthouse did the accommodations no justice. They are being put up in many mansions in the sky. 
Each one came with a group of personal handmaidens, butlers, and a personal chef, not to mention the private pool plunge. This was a luxe life, and Carter could appreciate the fact that the hideout felt more like an escape. He hadn't been expecting much, but this setup exceeded his wildest dreams. He had seen opulence in his day, but nothing quite like this. The cartel reigned in the field of drugs, war, and even real estate. Yeah, whatever happened to the guy, the money was like, yo, I want you to make me part owner of this, and I'm going to be back for my money, and blah, 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 and whoop-de-whoop. Okay, sorry, I'll stop doing that. I won't, fuck this. But it was apparent that they hadn't amassed wealth on this level, yet. If Carter had anything to do with it, they'll make the transition soon, after his legal trouble subsided. After finishing the tour of Carter's penthouse, Baraka turned to his guests. He stood tall, strong, with his hands clasped in front of him. I hope you'll find your accommodations most suiting, he said. Each penthouse is identical. Monroe nodded and Zaire spoke. No detail was left undone. Appreciate it. Baraka smirked. He could spot a protege in the making. Zaire was a chip off Carter's block. Their swag was almost identical. They may not be brothers by blood, but they were definitely family. Always had been. Always would be. The sound of a key card opening the door to the suite caused everyone in the room to look over their shoulders. When they saw her, they became breathless. The foreign beauty was the most beautiful creature that God had ever created. Seriously? We're doing this? Because that's what y'all say about everybody. You said that about Ileana too. And Mia Moore. And Breeze. Okay. Her Miss Universe smile illuminated the room as she walked confidently past the group until she was tucked safely under Baraka's arm. Damn, Carter thought. He ran his hand down his goatee and exhaled as he shifted his stance. Her long, butt-length hair was dark and mysterious, matching the charcoal-colored eyes that pierced upon first glance. She was slim, with a model's physique. Her only curve was a perky C-cup that sat out of the custom-tailored Dolce pantsuit she wore. Her skin looked like honey, and Carter couldn't help but wonder if it tasted just as sweet. He shook the thoughts from his head as Baraka spoke. This is my daughter Yasmin, Baraka introduced. She knows my hotel better than I do. She's the hospitality manager. If you need anything, she could take care of it for you. No matter how sensitive the matter, she can handle it and keep it in strict confidence. Do not hesitate to ask. Good to know, Carter replied as he extended his hand to her. Nice to meet you. There was seduction in her eyes as she took his hand. He could practically feel the heat of her touch melting into his skin as she rubbed his hand slightly. I look forward to pleasing you, she said with a hint of mischief dancing in her eye. Day or night, I'm available to you. So as far as I could tell, the only women who never fell under the gaze of the cartel were Robin and Aries. Yeah, her name was Robin. I've forgotten the first one. I don't give a fuck. She hasn't been in the book for like a book now. They just x them out the game and just had murder come in. But they were the only two that I could think of off top of my head who never fell for the cartel at first glance. Who didn't try and seduce them as soon as they said something to her. This is wild. 
Carter smirked as he cleared his throat, bringing a bald fist to his mouth. <clears throat> I know your journey has been long. We will let you gentlemen rest, Baraka said. He led Yasmin out the suite. The handmaidens remained stationed in the corners of the room, ready to serve. Monroe and Zaire stepped up next to Carter. This shit is wild, bro, Monroe said. Servants, butlers and shit? Don't take advantage, Carter instructed. From the looks these Arabian women have been throwing our way, I'd say we're the ones at risk of being taken advantage of, Monroe replied with a handsome grin. Zaire smirked but remained silent. He had caught the vibes as well and knew that this would definitely be an interesting trip. An interesting trip indeed, he thought. Keep your dick in your pants, fam. Last time that you fucked around, we got Ileana going crazy on Breeze. Just... Alright. Chapter 4. Where the law, Aries? You're a murder mama. This suburban neighborhood with manicured lawns got you confused, ma. Me and more. Told you so. The serene country street was void of all threats as Mia Moore sat in the rental car outside of a modest two-story home. The small city in middle of nowhere, Idaho, was quiet, peaceful, and completely off the map. Mia Moore completely understood why it had been chosen. It was where you would go to run from your past. It only existed to its own residents. Outsiders had no knowledge of the place whatsoever. She secretly wished that she could find a place she could run away to with their family. How nice it would be to leave it all behind. Solace. She watched as children rode their bikes up and down the paved streets. The houses all matched. The lawns were perfectly manicured as automatic sprinklers switched sounds of home ownership into the air. Mia Moore saw no signs of trouble, no signs of drugs, guns, or murder. There was absolutely no mayhem on these Idaho streets. Just good people living normal, safe lives. Must be nice, she thought. She exited the car and hesitated as a car passed her on the street. The driver smiled and waved. People are friendly here, she thought as she waved back. She crossed the street and approached the house that sat on the end of the block. It was beautiful and well taken care of with flowers planted around the perimeter of the large country porch. The creaking of a swing whistled in the wind as a little boy sat with shoulder-length dreadlocks, rocking slowly as he played with toy trains. He kicked his feet joyously as the swing creaked with every movement. Mia Moore gasped at the sight of him, and then her heart filled with warmth. Hi, she greeted. Is your mom home? The boy stopped swinging, and on cue, the front door opened with a gun immediately pointed at her face. The mother inside was so on point that she knew that an intruder had stopped her son's habitual swaying back and forth. Me and Moore stared down the barrel of a three, five, seven. <laughs> Me and Moore? A voice of disbelief rang out, but the recognition didn't cause the gun to lower. It was aimed at her, steady, unflinching, and ready. Hello, Aries, Me and Moore greeted. Ares held the gun firmly in her grasp, but she stared into the eyes of a cold-blooded killer. Mia Moore was a devil in a dress, and she hesitated before she decided to take a chance and lowered a gun. Confusion filled her eyes. I, yeah, I can see that, because 
when Mia Moore came back to life, she didn't even tell the ladies. She just went straight to wherever Carter was staying at, which was no longer where he should have been in the Bahamas. Still mad. Mia Moore, her brow furrowed. The little boy stood up and ran to his mother, clinging to her leg. Aries peeled her son off her. Go to your room, sweetheart. Lock the door and watch cartoons, she instructed, her voice stern. Where'd the accent go? Where are y'all saying, what, what happened to y'all saying you and... We'll get to it, I'm sure we will. The little boy nodded and disappeared inside the house. You think I'm going to hurt you? I would never bring harm to you, Aries. You're my friend. Mia Moore's voice didn't reveal the stab of anguish she felt in her heart. If her own friend feared her, she must have been a monster. How did it come to this, she thought. Yeah, well, I thought you were dead, and I don't let my guard down these days, for anyone, even friends, Ares replied. Mia Moore looked down at her body. I'm wearing Prada and five-inch heels, Ares. You really think I came to put in work looking like a supermodel? Ares' icy demeanor chipped away a little bit, and she smirked. Bitch, nobody said you look like a supermodel. I see we're still arrogant, huh? Aries cracked. Her face melted into a smile. You look great for a dead woman, she cracked. Aries put the gun on safety and embraced Mia Moore. You have a lot of explaining to do, she said. I know, Mia Moore replied. Are you going to invite me in? Aries stepped back into the house and Mia Moore followed. I'm proud of you, Mia Moore admitted as she looked around the home. Everything was in its place. Modest, but extremely beautiful, Aries' house felt like a real family lived in it. Plush carpet absorbed her feet. Beautiful Venetian blinds shaded the windows, while leather furniture sat on top of an opulent French rug. A stab of jealousy vibrated through her, but it only lasted for a moment. This was a life, and she was glad that one of the murder mamas was blessed to live it. It wasn't about the money or respect. It was about the power. Why do we keep forgetting to talk about the power? Money, power, respect. Three steps. Where? It wasn't about the money or respect. It was about peace of mind. After the sins that they had committed, Ares was lucky to find it. You made it out. You have a home and a child. I assume there's a man. Me and Moore sat down at the kitchen table as Ares went to the cupboard to start a pot of tea. There used to be someone, Ares said. He was killed. The past knocked on my door, and he got mixed up in some bullshit. I bounced around from place to place. Went back home to the islands, then to Montana to settle the score, to Arizona, and finally decided to settle here. I ditched the accent to blend in, and I started over. This place felt the safest. Okay. So that's what happened. They realized that in the last couple of books, they had been turning her accent on and off. And so they just decided it's easier if we just do it this way. So we don't have to keep writing me when I meant to say I and I and all that kind of stuff. Aries filled the kettle with water and placed it over the blue and orange flame on the stove. Mia Moore admired her. She's so normal now, Mia Moore thought. She then took a seat across from Mia Moore. What happened to you, Mia? A dark cloud seemed to shift over their heads as the mood changed. The reunion had turned dark as the thought of their dead friend loomed over them. I was in hiding, Mia Moore admitted, running from Mecca. Only came back after Carter killed him. 
But we got your hand sent to us in a box, Ares whispered. Mia Moore shook her head. It's a long story, but they weren't my hands. You left us, Ares whispered. We're in the middle of a fucking war and you just dipped. You left us stuck. Where were you when they took Robin's life? Wait, when did they take Robin's life? Hold up. Did she die in the last book? <laughs> the reunion between the two of them was bittersweet. Mia Moore had been their leader. Ares couldn't help but to think if she had stayed, things might have turned out differently. I cried for a week straight when Robin was executed. I'm sorry, Ares. I should have been there, Mia Moore whispered. You all were like my sisters. Tears accumulated in Ares' eyes. They put her down like a dog, she whispered. She quickly swiped the emotion away. You have a child? she asked. Mia Moore frowned. How do you know that? Ares chuckled. You put on some weight. The bad bitch I know don't play that. You wouldn't gain a pound. A baby is the only explanation. Can I assume that you're back with Carter? Mia Moore smiled. She missed this intimate interaction with Ares. No one had known her better than the murder mamas. They were family. Despite her love for Carter and her growing bond with Breeze and Lena, she was never as intimate with anyone as she was with her crew. I am. That's why I'm here. I need your help, Ares. There's a case against Carter, Zaire, and Monroe. Monroe? Ares questioned in shock. What the fuck? Everybody's just rising out their graves in Miami? The revelation hit her the same way it hit everyone else when they first found out money was alive. Like a ton of bricks. I saw that man in his casket. He's alive, Mia Moore confirmed. He lay in a coma for five years, but he breathed just like you and me. The case that the feds brought down the cartel is solid enough to send everyone away for life. They're on the run. Mia Moore wouldn't have shared that information with anyone else, but she had trusted Ares with much more. Mia Moore hid no truths from his old friend. They had done and seen it all. Together. I'm being watched or I'll put in the work myself. This fucking prosecuting attorney would love to catch me up in a RICO case. You're not on the radar, though, Ares. You could get in and out. Help me make this go away. You want me to murk a PA? Have you lost your mind, Mia Moore? Ares asked. They had gotten away with their share of murders in their day, but this situation reminded her too much of the one that sent Robin to the death chamber. You know this how Robin got caught up. We aren't bigger than the law. So did we hear what happened to Robin? Like, how the fuck did Robin die? Nope. The only thing we got in the last book, the very last words we got with Robin's name in it in the last book was in chapter six. The next day, Ares and Robin would receive her hands on the doorstep of their Los Angeles home. So I have no clue what happened to Robin. I guess we're going to find out, hopefully. Me and Moore's gaze toughened. We are the law, Ares. You're a murder mama. This suburban neighborhood with manicured lawns got you confused, ma? Anybody can get it. Niggas, bitches, children, white, black, fucking purple. I will do anything to bring my man home. Yeah, but you're not, Mia. You're asking me to and I just can't. I'm out the life, Aries protested firmly. Maybe, but this certainly isn't living, Aries. 
Mia Moore's tone softened as she sympathized with her friend. You have to be lonely here. Yeah, no family, no friends, just you and your son. Come back to Miami with me. I want to be a part of your son's life. I want you to be an aunt to mine. We're the last two standing, Mia Moore said genuinely. Miami is cartel territory, Mia Moore. You can forgive and forget because you love the nigga that's in charge of it. But I still remember. I remember the war. The beef. They're good people, Mia Moore interrupted. And I need you there. Carter's halfway across the world. And he'll never come back home unless I make it happen. I need you to help me get this case off his back. Ari shook her head. Nah, Mia Moore. That's your problem, not mine. I'm not ever coming back to Miami. Mia Moore wanted to press the issue, but out of respect, she didn't. They had done a lot of dirt together, and it wasn't Mia Moore's right to push Aries into re-entering the life. Okay, she said. She stood to her feet, thinking that there was nothing left to say. Mia Moore needed Aries, but she didn't blame her for declining the proposition. Aries was loyal. She always had been. Mia Moore knew that it wouldn't be easy to get her to change how she felt about the cartel. Love had caused Mia Moore to become soft. But Ares was still Ares, and she would forever throw the middle finger to the organization who killed Denisa. It was just the way that she was built. Mia Moore began to walk towards the door, but was halted by the sound of her name. Mia, you want to at least meet your nephew before you leave? Before Mia Moore could answer, the whistle of the teapot erupted in the air. Ares went to the stove. See, still no commas. There's no commas in this entire chapter, by the way. I just want to let you know. I mean, unless it's like after a quote. Before Mia Moore could answer, the whistle of the teapot erupted in the air. Aries went to the stove, poured two cups as steam drifted from the spout. She handed one to Mia Moore. Come on, she said. Mia Moore followed Aries up to the little boy's room, and when they opened the door, they found him fast asleep on his bed. You don't have to wake him, Mia Moore said. She walked over to the bed and knelt over the small child. Auntie loves you. She planted a kiss on his forehead. His name is Trey, Aries said. Mia Moore stood and went into her clutch. She removed a piece of paper and pen. Take care of yourself, Aries. I'm so proud of you. If you ever need anything, just call me. She wrote down her number and address before handing it to Aries. Thanks for coming by, Mia, Aries responded. She took the paper, but they both knew that she would never use it. She was shutting the door on her past life, and silently, Mia Moore wished that she could do the same. I love you, murder mama, Aries whispered sadly. Mia Moore closed her eyes for a moment and thought back to when they were all together. There had been five of them at a point in time. She was flooded with instant grief at the fact that three of them were no longer breathing. Did I lead us here? Are their deaths my fault? She thought. It was a burden that she would always carry on her shoulders. The loss of her sisters weighed heavily on her conscience. I love you too, Aries. Always. Mia Moore opened the door. Mia. Mia Moore turned around to Aries. Don't try to kill the PA or the judge or none of that. It's too dangerous. There's more than one way to skin a cat. A dead public official will only make the government go for more blood. You need leverage, Aries said. She shrugged. But hey, what do I know? 
I'm just a suburban housewife. Goodbye, friend. You're not a housewife if you're a single mom. But we don't know. Like, his stepdad could be out and about. I don't know. I don't know how this is supposed to work. Mia Moore nodded and walked out of the house filled with hurt. It was a pain that she had never felt before because she knew this was the final goodbye. She was headed back to Miami to fix her problems on her own, but not in the way that she had intended. Aries had given her some words of wisdom, ones that would prove valuable in time. Chapter 5 He on that real suit and tie type shit. Fly boogie. Two weeks later, murderous thoughts filled Mia Moore's mind as she thought of ways to tamper with the federal case. The role of motherhood had settled her a bit. It forced her to think first and react accordingly, but it did nothing to scratch the itch she had to make bullets rain from the sky. It was like a junkie craving a fix. When Mia Moore had a problem, she solved it, period. Erring on the side of caution was like pulling teeth to her. As much as she wanted to reinstate her murder game, she could not. Mia Moore had to think about her son, and if she went off the handle, she wasn't sure she'd ever be able to recover. Murder was like heroin for her. The familiar feeling of revenge was hard to shake. Once she got a taste of her old lifestyle, it would be hard to revert back to her normal life. Motherhood and the game didn't mix, and Mia Moore desperately wanted to get that part right. She wanted to be the wife and mother that her family needed, not the goon that the streets required. She had to fix things. It was up to her to put her family back together, but there were certain risks that she wasn't willing to take at that moment. Although she didn't see them, she knew that there were so many eyes on her that if she so much as jaywalked, they would bury her under the jail. In the past, this problem would have disappeared already. It would have been nothing to tie up a wife or kidnap a kid to make a judge throw her case out. But in those days, she had lived recklessly. Now, she had a child who depended on her, and she would not sacrifice him in order to save Carter. She had to play it smart this time and use caution before she proceeded. She hadn't heard anything further from Carter, and she knew that she wouldn't. It was too risky. Any communication between the two of them would cause exposure. Her mind spun with worry as she thought of him. He consumed her every waking moment. I have to make this go away. The doorbell rang, and Mia Moore rose from her seat. Her housekeeper Magdalena had quit after being interrogated for hours by the DEA, so she was left to take care of the massive estate on her own. She hastened her steps to stop the guests from ringing the bell again. She couldn't have the sound intruding on her infant son's sleep. She pulled open the door and stepped aside as Fly Boogie walked inside. Neither she nor any of the girls could move freely, so she had put Fly Boogie on the prosecuting attorney. She had eyes on him at all times as she slowly gained information about him. What do you know? Mia Moore asked, cutting directly to the point of his visit. Not much. This motherfucker squeaky clean. He on that real suit and tie type shit, Fly Boogie said as he dug his hands in his pockets. Nobody is completely clean, Mia Moore responded. Everyone has dirty laundry. We just have to find a closet he's hiding it in. Fly Boogie shook his head doubtfully and handed her his phone. Take a look for yourself. I've been stalking this nigga for days. This is all I got. A bunch of pictures, but nothing stands out. Mia Moore swiped her finger across the screen as she flicked through photos. She peered at the images with a critical eye. 
She sent each one to her email before moving to the next shot. I'm telling you, there's nothing there. You should just let me get at the niggas who's turning state. No witnesses, no case, Fly Boogie said. I don't know what you're talking about, Mia Moore said quickly. She hadn't told Fly Boogie about her exact plan. She didn't know him well enough to trust him with the details. He was Zaire's man, and off of that strength, she decided to use him to her advantage. Yeah, I, I know a nigga young and fly and all that, but one thing your boy fly ain't is dumb, he answered. You trying to find something about the prosecution to shake shit up. When all you gotta do is cut off a few pairs of loose lips, know what I mean? A nigga with no lips can't do no talking. Can't they though? I mean, they may not have lips, but they can still talk, and they can still write and make statements. I'm just saying, it may not be as easy as think or talk about lips, but it can be done. It can be done, and they still be in jail. I'm just pointing this out real quick, Fly Boogie. Fly Boogie, is that your real name? Also, I didn't even mean for my voice to sound like that. It just goes like that when you pull your lips in. It just goes like this. I don't know what it is that it happens, but your voice is no longer deep without having lips. That's weird. Huh. I already talked about white women in the last episode. I'm not going to continue it and make it into an issue. But white men? I know a lot of you. who they, You don't even mean to do it. You just talk like this. I, I don't, I just realized what it was. You just talk like this. Your voice, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Can I? I can make my voice deeper. Okay. Well, you know what? That's a stereotype on my part. I was talking like this, but you know what? I still set my mind at ease that I can talk with no lips. Also, white people, you know y'all, y'all like, y'all like. Y'all know, you know, I, I like y'all, y'all cool, y'all cool. I'm gonna get these jokes off though. Sometimes y'all get hit in the crossfire. But admit, it's been a really long time since y'all have been a part of a joke. From me. Mia Moore smirked at the young hustler's remarks. He was confident as if he had a cloak of invincibility. That type of bravado came with youth. She had lived many days with that same cockiness, but she was older and smarter. She knew better. She couldn't kill everybody. This case was sewn up tightly. Too many low-level hustlers and mid-grade buyers were exchanging testimony for deals. Most were hidden away in witness protection. One witness in one safe house was feasible. But multiple murders without the aid of her own crew was impossible. Again, I don't know what you're talking about, she reiterated. Fly Boogie nodded and then proceeded to the door. I can put in work and I'm not like these other little homies out here. Zaire is my man. Whatever I got to do to prove my worth, I'm with it. You can trust me. Goodbye, Fly Boogie, she said with a half smile. The kid was growing on her, and his charismatic personality paired with his knack for the streets was appealing. He was a young goon, and a hustler by any means necessary. He was Carter Jones before the Italian cut suits, drug kingpin status, business acquisitions, and overseas connects. Fly Boogie was gutter, but he had so much potential. He was ride or die. If they ever came out of this, she would definitely tell Carter how helpful Fly had been. And if Carter never comes home, I'll put Fly Boogie on my team, she thought, preparing herself for the worst. The sound of the grandfather clock ticked slowly as the pendulum swung back and forth. 
Lena tapped her nude, manicured nails against the wooden arm of the office chair as she waited patiently. The nude jumpsuit she wore, along with six-inch heels, stood out amongst the poorly dressed businesswomen around her. Their cheap threads held in comparison to the immaculately styled attire she wore. While well-composed in appearance, she was unraveling on the inside. She had become acquainted with the night hour since Monroe had gone away. Worry and stress etched permanent lines on her once youthful face. She was no longer a young girl in love with a bad boy. She was a grown woman, dealing with the consequences of loving a man whom conflicted with the law. Whom conflicted with the law. Loving a man whom conflicted. Okay. Her choices have led her to this point. The choice to stay involved with the cartel had been hers, and now she was suffering. Heart empty. Future unpredictable. She was a dope man's wife, and to a young girl, it was a dream. To a grown woman, it was a nightmare. The position was glitzy on the surface, but dulled the person she was within. Lena wanted out, and as she sat waiting for the Diamond Family accountant to summon her, she was determined to find her exit. Lena Devereaux, Mr. Odom is ready for you now, the receptionist announced. Lena stood and followed the thin brunette to the back office. Wow, they put a comma between thin and brunette. We're just wasting commas now. We're not using them where we need them at, though. She nodded gratefully as the woman stood to the side and extended her arm so that Lena could bypass her. Mr. Odom stood, clad in a Brooks Brothers suit. He was distinguished with smooth black skin. They put commas between smooth black skin. He was distinguished with smooth black skin and a clean bald head. They're wasting him. The dark features of his goatee and thick eyebrows stood out on his face, perfectly groomed. His persona yelled wealth, and he had a presence that made everyone around him attentive. He was a complete opposite of what Lena had expected. A rich, successful black man paving away in a legit atmosphere was so foreign to her. Again, too many commas. All she had been around for years were men involved in the game. This black man in front of her was refreshing. He smiled and extended his hand. The scent of his clean cologne awakened her senses. Thomas Odom, he introduced. You must be Miss Devereaux. Call me Lena, she replied. She sat down and placed her handbag in her lap as he walked around his desk to take his own seat. Is this the guy? Is is this the dude? Is this the one that money was like, I'm going to get my shit back from you? Nope. Went back and looked. That dude's name was Jamison Wilds. They just never talked about him again after that. We're never going to find out what happened. Okay. He folded his hands on top of his desk, the lines of his suit hugging its broad shoulders. What can I help you with? He asked. Lena cleared her throat before she spoke, trying to swallow the lump that had formed. She wasn't a dumb girl. In fact, she had a bachelor's in business, although it did very little beside collect dust in a box. She had allowed herself to be sucked into the lifestyle of the rich and infamous. Lena had completely abandoned the concept of a normal life, but there was only so much she could take. After the catastrophe of her wedding day and Monroe disappearing into the sky, she could no longer take this life. My fiancé was Monroe Diamond, she started. I'm here to talk to you about Diamond Enterprises. I know that he, along with Carter and Breeze, have a lot of money put into that corporation. I like to talk about investment opportunities. The family's interested in going in a different direction. 
Odom studied her as she spoke, admiring her beauty. First, let me express my condolences to you and your family. I'm sure this is a very hard time for you, but I can't talk to you about Mr. Diamond's financial affairs. He wasn't a client of mine. He was a loyal client at Jamison Wilde's. Perhaps you should be speaking with him about the Diamond affairs. Lena went into her Birkin and removed the manila envelope. I thought you might say that, Mr. Odom. He waved his hand. Thomas, he said, dismissing the formalities. Thomas, well, Jamison Wilde's only handled the domestic accounts for Monroe. You're far better versed in foreign money, which is why Monroe hired you to handle any international transactions, including Swiss and Cayman accounts. Here's Monroe's living will, she said as she passed it to him. As you can see, he left his third of Diamond Enterprises to me. Along with that is a living will of Carter Jones. Already have his beneficiary along with Breeze on board. We want to change the way our money's earned. I know that Monroe trusts you with his money, and because of that, I trust you. See, there should be a comma. I put the and because there was no comma, but what they wanted it to say is, I know that Monroe trusts you with his money. Because of that, I trust you. No comma. Odin pulled his tie and sat back in his seat, crossing his leg over the other. I've done business with the Diamond family for many years. I tried over a decade ago to steer Carter Sr. away from his way of business. It saddens me that it took so much loss to come to this, Odom said. Unfortunately, the government has seized all accounts associated with your family. There is no money. Lena smirked. That's funny. What you have to understand, Thomas, is that our men prepared us for this day. You don't fall in love with a man like Monroe Diamond without preparing for the inevitable fall from grace. I want the money that's tucked away in the Swiss and Cayman accounts. I want it in cash, and I know exactly how much it is, so please don't try and shortchange me. Odom smiled as he got comfortable in his chair. Intrigue danced in his eyes. Lena's hard exterior covered up a bleeding interior as her heart beat rapidly. She hadn't had a sleep-filled night since the feds had come around. Lena needed the money to take the cartel corporate. She didn't know how yet, but she knew that the move was completely overdue and absolutely necessary. Stand, please, Odom said. Excuse me? She said, suddenly thrown off. He motioned with his finger smoothly for her to stand. She put her handbag down on the floor and stood, as did he. He rounded the desk, his tall figure walking towards her. Fragile and heartbroken, Lena's thought drifted... Lena's thoughts... Lena's thoughts... Lena's thought drifted to Monroe. Until now, she never had to take the lead. She was so comfortable following. Thrust into power, it was her place to now manage the money that Monroe had left behind. She needed to square her shoulders, put fire in her eyes, and boss up her entire life. But instead, all she felt was emptiness. As Autumn stood in front of her, he seemed to see through her. You're beautiful, Miss Devereaux. It truly pains me to see a woman like you so broken. You're worthy of much more. Lena sucked in a sharp breath. Am I that transparent, she thought. Odin was handsome, and she had his full attention. Lena silently wondered what life would have been like had she met a man like him. He was what Monroe would have been had the war with the Haitians never happened. Instead, she had been caught in the web of drugs, lust, and money. She had fallen for not one, but two Diamond Brothers. She hadn't stood a chance. 
Sensing her discomfort, he switched the subject. She was clearly mourning. She smiled demurely. I'm fine. A bit uncomfortable standing in six-inch heels when I could be sitting comfortably, she replied. He cleared his throat. throat) I'm sorry. I just need to be sure. Please hold out your arms. Wait, where did he change the subject? Where, what, what? Okay, so he changed the subject to, I need you to hold out your arms so I can pat you down? Is that really changing the subject? Does that count? Lena frowned, but she did as she was told. His hands began to roam. You think I'm wired? Odom didn't answer, but he continued to search her. When he was sure that she was clean, he nodded. I apologize. The IRS and other bureaus have been combing through my records, trying to make me an accomplice in this case. I can't be too careful. Now, let's talk about the money. Perhaps over dinner? Odom asked. Lena was stuck for a moment. Did he just ask me out? She thought. He sensed her hesitation. I realize that you're basically Monroe's widow. I was in attendance at the wedding term massacre, remember? It's just dinner in good company while attending the business. Okay, Lena said. She wanted to say no, but until she got the money in her hands, she decided to keep things comfortable between them. He wouldn't be the first accountant to clean out a client, so she decided to play it safe to hinder any foul play. I'll send a car for you tonight at 7 p.m. Odom's eyes widened in surprise. She chuckled slightly as she grabbed her bag. I'm the cartel, Mr. Odom. I have to control my surroundings. Guess I picked up a few tricks to the trade being around Monroe. Apparently, he quipped. The way he eyed Lena, she knew that she would have to be careful with him. He had never met a woman like her, and she knew that he never would. She was one of a kind and held a power that even she did not yet realize. Her mind was so sharp that she could outthink the majority, and now it was her time to come into her own. A new regime was emerging. The streets had forced Mia Moore, Lena, and Breeze into a sisterhood. Together, they would take over. I didn't even do that. That was God doing that. Because he knew that was another Jay-Z reference. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on Podchaser. Copy and paste that in the Apple Podcasts. Copy and paste that in the Good Pods. Thank you to everybody who's checking us out on Good Pods and Podchaser. Um, you can also donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or at uh, buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app, you can uh, tip us in the tip jar. Everything that you tip goes towards either buying books for this show or for buying movies for Hindsight, my other podcast. Um, yeah. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by that kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com 
for more information on how to lease this feed. This is single simulcast. Don't know by now that you slipped.